Hello and welcome into BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of BTN. We're back on the Take 10 Podcast with a holiday edition of the show. Hopefully you can listen to this on your way either home for Thanksgiving or to your Thanksgiving destination, pass some time as we talk plenty about a very busy time of year for flagship sports at the conference, football and basketball. And we also uh, have a cool conversation with a guest who was on the biggest stage in college basketball just about seven months ago for the Michigan State Spartans. And that guest is Kenny Goins, the former Michigan State forward. He hit the big shot against Duke last year to send the Spartans to the Final Four. And he's one of those guys, one of those uh, classic stories of guy who kind of grinded his way to the top, started as a walk-on for Michigan State, bided his time, kept working, didn't play too much until he was a senior, but then had a breakout year as a senior, and like I said, hit that massive shot in the Elite Eight to help beat Duke and Zion Williamson in that memorable game out in Washington, D.C. So, had a really good discussion with Kenny. We got into the team dynamic, especially in the wake of the tragic passing of Cassius Winston's brother, Zachary, and, uh, Kenny was very candid in his comments, so I appreciate him for that. And he also updated the listeners on what he's been up to since graduating from Michigan State and getting his professional career underway out in Italy. So, interesting discussion with Kenny coming up. And after that, we talk quite a bit about Big Ten football with Harold Shelton, BTN's researcher. No one knows more about the Big Ten and what makes the teams tick that Harold does. And he talks, obviously, Michigan and Ohio State, the big game coming up this weekend. And plenty about the other big game, Minnesota versus Wisconsin to determine the Big Ten West winner and Ohio State's opponent in the Big Ten Championship game in Indianapolis. And also other uh, intriguing matchups coming up this weekend as well across the conference. And we cap it all off with a little more basketball talk with some uh, State of the Union type addresses from Mr. Shelton where he kind of takes stock of the league and um, gets into how the league is faring from 30,000 foot vantage point. But like I said, plenty of football and plenty of basketball talk with Kenny Goins. And we'll get to Kenny first interview of this podcast right now. It's a take 10 podcast discussion with former Michigan state Spartan, Kenny Goins. It starts right now. I'm very pleased to be joined by Kenny Goins, a former Michigan state Spartan basketball player. He's now playing in Italy. Kenny, how's it going, man? Doing great. Excited to catch up with you. Um, seems like just yesterday you were playing in the Final Four for Michigan State. Now you're uh, across the Atlantic Ocean. Fill us in on what you've been up to since uh, since you graduated from Michigan State. Uh, yeah, it uh, kind of looking back, it seems like it was a lot longer than what it actually was. You know, a couple months. Um, I went out to Vegas for in the summer. I had the uh, the G League. Uh, our summer league with uh, Denver Nuggets and played out there. Uh, got to experience that. That was really an amazing time just to see the NBA and what it was all about. And then, I don't know, I got home and two days later I uh, ended up signing. There's a trophy. It's uh, on the Sicilian uh, island on the west coast. And it, uh, it really has just been amazing being out here. Yeah, how did you get set up in, uh, in Italy? How did that, that kind of come together? 
Um, I actually talked to a couple Italian teams uh, when I was out in the summer league, but uh, neither one was the team that I'm with now. But uh, my agent was, uh, you know, working for me, and uh, really he just presented the opportunity, like I said, a day or two after I got back. And he was like, I don't think there really will be a better option for you uh, if we wait any longer, so you should take this. And, you know, next thing I know is I'm trying to research where I'm where I'm going. Yeah, I was searching on Google Maps your uh, your team and your location now. Looks pretty nice, like a beach town in Sicily. What's kind of the landscape like down there? What's the experience like being uh, down in the southern tip of that boot in Italy? Yeah, it, it's gorgeous. Uh, you know, uh, you won't see views like this in many other places in the world, and um, a lot of mountains everywhere you go. And uh, you know, they say it's it's starting to get lonely around here because, like you said, it is a beach town, so it's really a vacation spot for people in Italy. And uh, now it's not the season to vacation, so uh, it's starting to really calm down and and get into a cooler cooler temperature. But nothing like Michigan, that's for sure. <laughs> What's the travel like being so far south in Italy? Like, do you have to uh, take mostly flights? Is it tough getting off that that southern tip of the island? How does uh, how does the setup work in that particular league? Yeah, well, we only uh, in our conference we only have one other team that's on the island, so we drove to there. We already played them away, drove to them, but uh, besides that, we fly everywhere because there is actually no bridge on the. Uh, Sicilian Island to the mainland, so no matter what, you got to uh, fly from there. Okay, that's wild. Um, I saw on Twitter recently you hit a game-winning shot last week. You kind of <sighs> establishing yourself as the hero already down there? Um, you know, uh, I think I kind of had a slow start in the beginning of the season, just getting used to European-style basketball and different play schemes, all that, and uh, different players and whatnot, so... Uh, now I'm starting to get my feet under me and really have been having a couple good games strung together here and hopefully can keep that going through the rest of the season. Yeah, I've talked to a bunch of players who have either played basketball overseas or are playing basketball overseas now, and there's usually some sort of story or moment that kind of jarred them a little bit or caught them off guard just because overseas basketball tends to be so different. So did you have a moment or like a realization that was your kind of welcome to overseas basketball moment? Like, all right, this is a little bit different. Uh, really, it was just the first two weeks off the plane. You know, you go straight into practice, and um, you don't know who, if your teammates speak English or how well your coach knows English. I talked to him once over text before I got here. So, uh, really, just the whole culture shock mixed with trying to play basketball in a different system, different rules, uh, things that you really have never even thought about. Uh, it really just all throws you for a world when you first get off the jet. Yeah, what's your lifestyle like now over there? Like, can you walk down the street to the store and speak Italian? Do you do you just chill at home most of the time? What what do you got going on off the court? Um, definitely more comfortable now. Um, I, I had my girlfriend out with out here with me, so uh, it's definitely been a lot a lot more homey feel as I got settled in and really uh, bonded with my teammates. Just uh, I have really great guys on my team that make it feel like home, uh, people to hang out with and stuff like that. So. Um, all that really kind of feeds into how you're playing. It's just how you're enjoying your life out here. So um, I, I couldn't complain with where I'm at. Wouldn't want to be anywhere else, really. Uh, I got a great situation going. Have you been able to watch any of the Michigan State games so far? Stream them, or, or is the uh, time difference too too uh, too rough on you? 
Uh, I, I tried to stream the uh, Duke one, but or not the Duke one, the uh, Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky one. Excuse me, yeah, but I uh, couldn't get that. But I'm hopefully gonna get the Duke one. Um, it, it's been kind of hard, like you said, the time difference. Most of the games are like three thirty in the morning, and I have practice or something <laughs> the next day at like nine or ten. So uh, uh, just kind of really trying to time one out or a couple out. I got the the subscription though for it, so I'll make it a couple. <laughs> Yeah, that's the downside of living in a uh, beachside paradise in Italy. So, uh, there's, yeah, there's pros and cons. Uh, so I want to get back into your path to Michigan State. Now that we kind of covered your your uh, life in Italy. You're a big Michigan State fan growing up. You walked on there from Michigan. Did you ever consider going anywhere else, or, or were you uh, kind of set on attending MSU? Uh, I really didn't think that I was going to go to MSU uh, really up until the last moment. Um, my sister went to Central Michigan, and they had offered me a full ride. And I had taken my official visit there and was literally about to commit with the uh, Central coaches saying I was coming there. And uh, I woke up, and at my official visit breakfast, they had told me overnight they signed uh, someone from some European nation as their last uh, scholarship. So there was no more space for me. And uh, two days later, I committed to MSU. So it kind of is a crazy story on how I got there, but things worked out. Yeah, for sure. So how do you go about walking onto a team? I feel like everyone's story is a little different. Like sometimes it's a preferred walk-on. Sometimes a guy will walk into the coach's office and literally ask for a spot. So how did you go about trying to find your way on to the Spartan team? Yeah, I was a preferred walk-on because I played with uh, Reach Legends with AAU, and uh, that's uh, where Keith Appling, Derek Nix had played. So uh, my coaches kind of knew some of the coaches at MSU, and uh, Stevens had come out and seen me once or twice, and you know he said we don't have a scholarship, but if you want to come here, like as bad as you say you do, you know we got a spot for you. We'd more than welcome to have you. So I kind of kept in the back of my mind and didn't want to really pass up on a free education but um at the end of the day like I said things happened to where that was that was my decision yeah you eventually got on scholarship it did take a while to get regular minutes though you really didn't uh carve out a significant consistent role until your senior year so did you ever you know while you were maybe not playing as much as you'd like regret your decision or were you always um firm in in that choice to go to MSU um I think it's hard not to, not to uh, kind of second guess yourself when you're 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 not as happy because you're not playing as much as you would hope you dream, you know. But uh, at the end of the day, I the family atmosphere we had there and uh, the coaches, the guys around me, uh, I, I really just loved being there and never once said that I want or thought about transferring even. Yeah, and just following kind of your era and your time at Michigan State and those teams, it, it's always seemed like kind of a tight-knit locker room just from the outside looking in, like from Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges on to last year's Final Four team. And uh, I got a chance to be in the locker room at the Final Four and kind of get to know some of you guys a little bit. And, you know, you saw, like, other players taking care of Xavier Tillman's daughter and, and just all kinds of examples of, of the camaraderie there, um, which is really good for, you know, when times are good, when you're winning and and it's all about basketball, but it's also very important, I think, for times like right now, kind of in the wake of uh, a tragedy, really, a really tough time in Michigan State with Cassius Winston's brother, uh, Zachary Smoothie Winston, passing away. 
So can you speak to that a little bit about how that locker room was and how they've dealt with the aftermath of such a, uh, a tragic event? Yeah, uh, it's been it's been hard to even keep in touch with all that going on just from for being out here and stuff. But um, even the first people I talked to were my family, and my family was talking to me about it because it really sent a shockwave through all of us. And you said within the locker room, but it was deeper than that. Like Cassius's parents, uh, any of our parents, um, just know each other so well, and, and it just sent emotions going through everyone and a lot of stuff that I've been just trying to keep up with through my parents and kind of give Cash and his family still a respected amount of space and their time of need. Yeah, I imagine it's it's difficult for you, especially, you know, not being able to be there for that, uh, you know, that situation. And we've seen, you know, on TV and, and kind of from a distance how Cash has handled it. Uh, I think he's handled it with a ton of grace and, and courage, you know, just being able to go out there and play and thank the fans for supporting him. Um, it's been really cool to see how he's handled it. What, what kind of person is he kind of off the court? Can you give us an inside peek into, you know, how uh, how Cassius is as a human being? Yeah, um, Cassius is one of my favorite players that I ever played with, and I had some great teammates. Um, but just everyone in his family is loving and caring, and uh, his mom always said that I was her second favorite Spartan, so I kind of hold that dear <laughs> to my heart. But Cassius is, is a chip off his his mom and his dad and in both are great respects and um you know it's hard to talk on someone uh, excuse me it, it, it's uh sorry kind of tearing up right now but yeah no worries uh, just the maturity just the maturity he's dealt with in this moment uh where it really is a great tragedy for his family and especially him how close he was with his brother uh, to be able to go out and play like he did the night after and and address the crowd and everything that he's done with the press, it, it really shows how mature he is for even being a young guy. Yeah, it's been an emotional time, you know, even for, for us who've been following it from afar. So I can't imagine how it's been in that inner inner circle of uh, Spartans. So appreciate you, you getting into that and um, being candid in your comments. Uh, I'll shift gears back to basketball a little bit now and, and take – you back into that run last year. You kind of mentioned trying to watch the Duke game, uh, or you said Duke this year. They're coming up on the schedule, but I'm glad you brought Duke up because that was kind of your moment last year. I'm sure you've talked about it uh, countless times by now, uh, hitting the shot to beat Duke, send the Spartans to the Final Four. What is something from that game or that shot that maybe you haven't talked about as much. Is there anything like inside the play, some some X's and O's stuff that maybe you don't talk about as much that you could share on the podcast uh, about, yeah, about kind of the mean, biggest moment of your career? Um, a couple of people asked me after because uh, Coach Fife had actually told the press, but the play wasn't technically for me. <laughs> you, you could say that they, we had uh, other options that we wanted to get to after I was uh, – supposed to receive the ball but I kind of uh just saw how open I was and took the shot did you know it was going in when it left your hand yeah yeah it was one of those ones where it really just felt great coming off your fingertips and there was no second guess as soon as I uh kind of raised up it was funny watching the uh Michigan State Seton Hall game a couple weeks ago 
your guy Malik Hall um, is number twenty-five, and he hit a bit. He was hitting big shots all night. It kind of reminded me of you out there. Yeah, yeah, uh, he looked great. I saw all the highlights uh, the next day of that, and um, you know, I, I think going into the summer, I, I was saying that I was really excited to see him play just because uh, physically he was so ready to play at a Big Ten level for someone coming straight out of high school, and uh, you know, now you guys are getting to see it. I think he's number twenty-five too, like you, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Second coming. Uh, how about besides that shot? What, what was your favorite memory maybe from your career? I'd imagine that's number one, but do you have any uh, moments or memories that stand out when, you know, you'll talk to your grandkids about it down the road? Um, you know, there's been a lot of championships and, and two Final Fours, so those are obviously some big talking points. But, uh, you know, I think uh, I had another game that really kind of established me as uh, someone that would have got minutes in just my first year that I was playing my redshirt freshman year, the uh, Maryland game. We had the lime green jerseys on. And, you know, I think I just played, uh, had a good game. It really gave me that, that foothold, that, you know, foot in the door feel for I can do this. I can I can really make a name for myself here. Yeah, another memory from last year, uh, you know, that stands out about your team, because just because it caused so many national headlines, was when Tom Izzo and Aaron Henry got into it on uh, the sideline in the first round. And I'm just curious, like, from a locker room perspective, like, how overblown do you think that whole thing was? Because it made, you know, like, the first take, the undisputed, it was sports centers, everything. What did you guys think from an inside perspective about all the uh, kind of hoopla that was made about it? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people in sports would kind of agree. Maybe not everyone, but a lot would agree that that's a little uh... – exaggerated you know every coach is going to get emotional and and challenge his players but uh coaches are just likes to do it in more of a flamboyant way i guess you could say right um but that being said every michigan state basketball player will also agree that no one will care for you as much as your person your career like your characteristics as that man so none of us would ever ever deny that the love he has for each and every one of us so we all were just amazed that they even someone even really had had the the decision to write up a, a article about that right uh before i let you go kenny i gotta ask you know you beat michigan three times your senior year including one for the uh big 10 tournament title how does it feel to know you kind of have permanent bragging rights in that state in your home state yeah especially being growing up here and being a Michigan State fan you heard a lot of things growing up and just really always about that rivalry so uh, to say that's what I kind of closed out my career on doesn't feel any uh, like there's no words to describe how uh, how happy it will make me feel to say that to the day I die really. Alright Kenny well that's all I got for you really appreciate you taking some time enjoy the holidays out there man uh, hopefully you get some time to relax and like I said Thanks for joining me and good luck with your yeah. overseas career and the rest of uh, you know your basketball life. Appreciate it, man. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk. All right, thanks once again to Kenny for joining me, especially of time difference and his busy schedule out in Italy. Really appreciate him jumping on WhatsApp and getting a hold of me. And uh, best of luck to him going forward in his professional career. All right, moving along now to Harold Shelton, 
ETN's in-house researcher. If you're not familiar with the show, every week trying to get Harold in to talk Big Ten sports, especially football and basketball, and go in depth and behind the scenes, behind the numbers of what to expect in the uh, weekend's immediate matchups when it comes to football and talk trends when it comes to college basketball. We did both coming up on this segment. We go about 35 minutes, so strap it in and enjoy my discussion with BTN researcher Harold Shelton, which starts right now. All right, Ace, we're back in the lab on a holiday week. It's Tuesday. We're two days away from Thanksgiving. We've got a ton of sports going on. How are you balancing all these aspects of your life right now? Oof, man, it's a lot going on. Uh, definitely trying to just get to December 8th. Going to be working probably a couple long nights to try to make sure I got everything done uh, before dinner on Thursday because mm-hmm. I definitely plan on eating and spending some time with the fam for sure. Well, it doesn't help that Michigan State basketball is getting your blood pressure up today on Tuesday. We just got <laughs> done watching the Michigan State-Georgia basketball game in Maui where uh, Georgia almost closed a 28-point gap. Spartans held on. We'll talk a little bit more basketball in a little bit, but uh, has your heart rate settled yet? Yeah, it never got too high. Um, it was just probably because it was November. Obviously, if this was March, this would be a very different feeling. I'd probably still be sweating right now. But, uh, you know, the fact that they gave they had a 28-point lead cut down to two was definitely uh, annoying, I'd say. But, you know, guys made plays late and – Glad they just got out of there with a win. Playing in a seventh place game against Shamanai would not have been fun. <laughs> no, that would not have been pretty. Uh, we'll talk a little more hoops, like I said. Let's switch it over to football now. And coming off a big weekend with a big weekend ahead, there's plenty to talk about. So let's just start at the very top. Last week's much hyped game between Ohio State and Penn State. Kind of talked about it going in, talked about it all season as Ohio State steamrolled through the schedule. Are they going to be pushed? And when they inevitably are pushed, how will they respond? And we kind of saw it on Saturday, up 21 nothing. Uh, Penn State closed the gap to 21-14 with some turnovers. And Ohio State, you know, wobbled a little bit, but stayed steady enough to pull it out. So what, what did you see, and do you think that was the level of adversity that we've kind of been wondering about when it comes to the Buckeyes? Yeah, it was first time they had to play a four-quarter game. I think uh, Gus Johnson referenced it on the broadcast when he said – you know, <clears throat> James Franklin was trying to see if he could get Ohio State to go into deep water. They hadn't done that yet. Uh, last week was the first time that they had, uh, probably since the, the Rose Bowl, you know, the year before. So um, it was good to see them respond because, you know, up 21 nothing. you're thinking, up oh, here it comes, like right. the avalanche is about to start. Then they got a little loose with the ball, you know, field started taking some shots, hurt their left wrist a little bit. Uh, you know, Dobbins lost the ball, so – you know, 10 points came really, really quickly off Ohio State turnovers. Uh, you know, after that 21 nothing lead, Penn State scored 17 in a row, and you're like, whoa. But, you know, yeah, they made 17 the plays. Yeah, they cut it to four, right? Yeah, they got yeah. it to four. Uh, they made plays when they needed to. You know, Olave with a great touchdown catch. And then from there, uh, you know, Chase Young and that defense, you know, did what they had to do. And here they are going to Indy third straight year. Yeah, the impact Chase Young – was definitely felt, and you know it's crazy how he just didn't miss a beat at all after taking two, three weeks off, two games off, and what do you have? Nine tackles, three sacks, two forced fumbles, something like yep, that. Yeah, four tackles for loss as well. I mean, it's it's crazy what he's done. 
Um, I really wonder what his numbers would have been if he would have played in the Maryland Rutgers games. The fact that yeah. he has 16 and a half sacks already in just, in just what, nine games right. is pretty crazy. I think the last two times he's played, he's won Walter Camp National Defensive Player of the Week because the Wisconsin game obviously was crazy as well when he had four sacks and uh, six tackles for loss. So uh, this is a guy who completely changes the game whenever he's in there. Uh, you know, he was getting around the right tackle at will. You know, he did the same with Wisconsin, whether it was a tight end that tried to chip or whether it was an offensive lineman, uh, you know, trying to push him out. I'll be curious to see how uh, Michigan tries to deal with him because he's a problem no matter where he lines up. Yeah, it's a shame we need to see him against Rutgers and Maryland, like he said, even though he probably would have played only sparingly at yeah, two quarters each maybe. Um, so I guess we, uh, we'll never know what – that uh that sack total and tackle for loss total might have been uh one more thing before we talk about Ohio State's next next big game what are your thoughts on I've seen it a couple times in the last couple weeks and I don't have too strong of a take on it but rushing the field when the game is not necessarily you know either evenly matched or one of significant consequence I, I don't know it's for me with Ohio State rushing the field, and then I noticed with Iowa the week before when they beat Minnesota, I just think it's one of those situations where, and again, this is not a strong, passionate take for me, but it, it was just something that I was thinking about and trying to trying to gauge my um, coworkers' reactions on. It's something that, you know, if you do it too much, somebody is going to ruin it for the rest of us. You know, like, there's going to be, the more often you do it, the more likely it is that some idiot fan sparks a brawl with the opposing team, and then rushing the field is canceled for the rest of the time. So I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like when Ohio State's 20-point favorites and they have still much bigger things ahead of them, a little premature, even though I don't want to hate on the fun aspect of it because if I was a college student and I have rushed a court or a field before, it's a lot of fun, I'd probably take a totally different angle on it. Yeah, so I was wondering if they did that because they clinched division yep. and if that was a big reason why. I've seen them rush the field before. Uh, it's normally, you know, after the last game of the year, uh, you know, once they beat Michigan and it clinches something. Right. So I was wondering if it was, hey, you know, we clinched, you know, another trip to Indy. Was that the reason? The Iowa one was a, was a little different, I feel like. It's not like that win propelled them to anything. That was just... Uh, you know, a win over a rival. It's almost, almost like at Iowa, they're used to rushing it once a year. So they're right. just like, this is our last chance. We like, hey, well, we we're not going to rush it against Illinois, you know? Right. So, yeah. Again, like, like, I don't have a strong take on this, but... And I guess kudos to whatever system Ohio State especially has in play. It seems like you said they do it every year, and it's pretty orderly. Nothing ever breaks out, so... I mean, that Clemson, I mean, Clemson does it literally after every single game. Right. And I know that started years and years and years ago. I'm not exactly sure uh, how it got started. But, I mean, like they beat Wofford earlier this year and they rushed the field. I mean, it's literally <laughs> every single game they do it. I have other thoughts on Clemson. That and just adds to my, <laughs> my arsenal. Of, yeah. you know, if, we, if we get a Clemson-Ohio State matchup, I'll, I'll have plenty of things to say about Dabo and Clemson. Can't stand yeah, them. But anyway. That's, that's fair. 
I don't want to harp on it. It's just something that I, I wanted to get off my chest because I already had. I, mean, I, I think your point's fair, though. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it in basketball where right. guys rush the court and it's become a problem. And, you know, the SEC had to put a rule in where a school would get fined, right. you know, if the fans rush the court. So, you know, obviously there is a safety issue. I do think basketball is a little more tricky just because you it's can literally so trample close, over the people. Right. Injuries you, have happened before. Exactly. Yeah, it's definitely a quicker process. and. Um, I just posed the question on Twitter on Saturday after it happened. Some Buckeye fans were chirping in my mentions, so uh, I wanted to open it up to hey, we'll do to that. discussion. But uh, uh, moving along to before we actually talk about Ohio State, Michigan, let's uh, talk about Indiana last week briefly because we talked about it all year on the podcast about how Indiana hasn't gotten that marquee win yet. Uh, looked like they were maybe poised to do so against Michigan this past weekend when they went up 14-7 to and were moving the ball early at will on uh, the Wolverines and, and Michigan kind of let the floodgates open and uh, won big against Indiana. So going to have another year likely without that marquee win unless Indiana pulls an interesting matchup in a bowl game or something because all they have left in the regular season is Purdue. So how do you put the season in perspective knowing that the Hoosiers have made progress but still don't have that ranked win that we've been looking for I think a lot depends on the last two games I think it's a success it's a success already because they've made a bowl game they've got seven wins first time since 07 so you're already talking about you know the most wins they've had in a decade if they can beat Purdue then it becomes the most wins they've had in over 25 years and if they can get that get a ninth win you know, with a bowl win because they haven't won a bowl game since '93, or I think might might be since '91 actually. Um, if they're able to do that, then I think the whole season is looked at differently. And yes, I know they lost Ohio State, and they lost to Penn State, and they lost to Michigan, they lost to Michigan State when they were ranked. But if you're able to end the season with nine wins, a win over your rival, a bowl win, I think that is a resounding success if they can get that. Yeah, if I was a Hoosiers fan, I would definitely take any of those scenarios you said uh, whether it be eight or nine wins and like most of college football's kind of um, perceptions I think those perceptions are reality for the most part outside of maybe the top you know eight to ten teams so fans across college football recruits that are choosing between Indiana and other schools aren't going to really necessarily know or care that they don't have a significant win this season Tommy Allen can go out and sell Hey, nine wins, bowl game, and come to Indiana over, you know, whatever SEC school or ACC school he's competing against. So I agree, like, nine wins or even eight, definitely resounding success. And they broke through the top 25, even if they didn't have the wins. Their wins came at the right time to, you know, make an impression on on the national um, mindset. And like you said, it's, it's a step forward, and maybe that big win will come going forward uh, in the future seasons, the, the one that they've kind of that's eluded them in the last couple of decades. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's done a really good job recruiting. I mean, you can see a lot of the young players that they have that have already been contributing. Uh, once they add a little bit more seasoning, if they can, you know, put a put together another couple good classes to go with the classes that they have currently, you know, maybe this is a situation where they can become a perennial bowl team where they can, you know, six, seven, eight wins every single year, and then you get that one special season where you got a bunch of upperclassmen and the right schedule and you can, you know, have a, a very, very special season. But that's what Tom Allen's trying to build. You know, Indiana, this is, you know, 
a school that's got four bowl appearances in 25 years. Right. I mean, this is not something that we should take lightly, that the fact that they're in the postseason. Right. So shout out to, uh, to him and that program for sure. Let's move forward and talk about this upcoming weekend. Um, massive weekend, rivalry weekend across the country, and Big Ten features the biggest game. Ohio State with Michi- uh, going to Michigan to uh, – they hope to continue that streak that they're on. What is it, like 16-17, 17-18 now at this point? Yeah, I think it's what, a two-seven game win streak sandwiched with one loss in between. So, okay. yeah, 14-15, I believe it is. So, but. another big noon kickoff on Fox – it's funny to me because a lot of fans were upset that last week's game was at noon, but isn't the Michigan-Ohio State game always at noon? Yes. There's one <laughs> year, I think the one versus 2 game in 06 was a 3.30 kick. That game is usually always at noon. I don't know what ha- what has happened where we have to, where if a game is not in prime time, it's somehow not important or right. not a big game. I never really understood that. I mean, we've seen a lot of really, really big games at noon and a lot of really, really big games at 3.30. I mean, Iron Bowl's at 3.30 yep. pretty much every year. Like, if it's at night, that's cool, but it doesn't make it any less relevant if it's earlier either. I, I think I, that grinds my gear so much. It's the mindset I think Fox is trying to change by switching the kickoff window to, uh, to noon. So, you know, maybe people will get more used to it as we roll along here. So, with as well as Michigan's played and – welcoming an Ohio State team that's undefeated that has only really been challenged, like we said, in the second half of last week's game. Do you think the Wolverines have enough firepower to challenge Michigan or challenge Ohio State and even beat them and kind of put a dent in this uh, you know, nearly two decades long stretch of futility against them? Yeah, so I feel like this is probably the best that they've felt going into one of these games in a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. Now, I know 2016 and last year they were both uh, – Michigan was in the top five in both of those years, but that game was in Columbus. It was, a game, it was a place they haven't won since 2000. They're probably playing the best that they've played under Harbaugh. Under Harbaugh. Uh, they're at home with a chance to pull this off. Ohio State does not look invincible after last week. And so they're definitely riding high is a situation where they could potentially pull it off. I still would favor Ohio State in this game. Um, but and, and what makes this interesting is how do you view Michigan's season if they lose this game? Like, you've, you killed Notre Dame, you killed Michigan State, two of your rivals, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you'd end up with three losses. If you lose it, you'd be third in the East again. And you'd still go to a nice bowl, but – you know, if I'm, I was picked to go to the playoff. I was picked to win the Big Ten before the season. If I'm nine and three with another loss to Ohio State, how's it viewed? But if they win, now you're talking ten and two potential Rose Bowl berth if things you know fall their way sure. uh, elsewhere. Snapping the Ohio State streak, you got a lot of momentum building for 2020, and I think the whole you know conversation shifts. But if they lose, it's up. Well, Jim Harbaugh did a lot of good things, but he's 0-5 against Ohio State, and that's what really matters. One thing to keep an eye on, and I'm not sure specifically if this pertains to Ann Arbor, but the forecast for this weekend across the Midwest does not look that good. Uh, I would argue with how Michigan's receivers have been playing lately in that passing game. You know, Shea Patterson threw five touchdowns this past weekend. Passing games really opened up with guys like Peoples-Jones and, and uh, Nico Collins. And I know Ohio State also has a very explosive passing attack, but you'd think that if the conditions are bad, that that would favor Ohio State, right? I would. I think they're the better running team of the two. 
Um, I think both defenses are pretty good, but I think Ohio State's run game, uh, when you have Dobbins and Fields with Teague as well, I think that's more potent. Uh, Hassan Haskins has played a lot better. You know, that a dump truck like he runs people over yeah he definitely does and and Charbonnet runs hard you know he gets in the end zone a lot but I would trust that Ohio State rushing attack uh over Michigan's and they've run it on Michigan pretty much every year outside of 2016 um I think they'll probably do it again but Justin Fields that wrist injury you know be curious to see what the ball security situation is whenever he tries to tuck one away yeah, I can't forget about Ronnie Bell either. He's had a great year, especially uh, after the drop against Penn State in the end zone. So I feel good for him. Yeah, I mean, the fact that we came into the year and it was all about Donovan Peoples-Jones and Nico Collins and Tariq Black, and it's actually Ronnie Bell that leads the team and catches in yards. Is Tariq Black still hurt, or is he just falling out of the rotation? Uh, well, I wouldn't say falling out of rotation. He just seems to be getting fewer looks than fewer other looks. guys. Gotcha. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I think of the receivers and I think of those top three guys that you mentioned and, and Tariq Black, that you said coming in the season, has been a guy was a guy who I probably would have named right next to Peoples Jones as a top producer. But uh, it speaks to you know the strength of, of Michigan State's passing attack. Uh, one more Ohio State question before we move on: Do you think if they lose a close one in Ann Arbor, are they still alive for the college football playoff? Yeah, absolutely. I think they could lose this game, uh, win in Indianapolis, twelve and one Big Ten champ. I think they'd be in pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the issue is that they probably wouldn't be a one or a two seed in that situation. Um, and so I think it's very, very important for Ohio State to get the one seed to not play Clemson. Right. I think if they're the two, because I, I can't see Clemson hopping in the top two over Ohio State or LSU if all three went out. And so I think it's very, very important if you're the one to avoid Clemson, if you happen to play, but you think Utah Ohio State, or something like that, I'd much rather deal with that. You think they would leap LSU the number one? I do, okay. I do. Um, we'll know, a, we'll know a lot. Uh, you know, when the newest rankings come out, I don't think they jump Penn State. I don't, I don't think the Penn State win would jump them over LSU, but I think the win over Michigan would. And then if they put a top ten Minnesota or Wisconsin win on top of that. It won't quite offset the Georgia one, but they would have more ranked wins than LSU would. Right. Full disclosure, we are recording Tuesday afternoon, so a couple hours before latest college football playoff rankings come out. I agree. I don't think they'll leave LSU with the Penn State win, but um, two big ones remain, obviously, for them to have the opportunity to do that. And their ticket to India is already booked, like we said. They'll represent the East, and now all that's left to determine this weekend is who's going to represent Big Ten West. Will it be a rematch of the 2017 game with Wisconsin facing Ohio State? Or uh, will we have a, another debut like we had last year with Northwestern making their first appearance with Minnesota punching their uh, first-ever ticket to Indy? What do you think about the matchup for the Axe? Minnesota owns the Axe. They displayed it prominently, we saw, in their facility when we were there last time. It's a big deal to both teams. They broke that streak of futility against the Badgers. And, Ohio, and Wisconsin's a team, um, you know, that offensively at least hasn't really slowed down with, with Jonathan Taylor putting up major numbers. But uh, it, it's it's a game that's definitely intriguing and it's had the highest stakes in pretty much the history of the rivalry. So what are you looking for in the battle for the X? So I want to see what the weather is like first and foremost because, like you said, if it's, if it's nasty out, that affects passing game more than the run game. Yep. 
Obviously, Minnesota tries to get things done through the air. They got a couple of thousand-yard receivers, probably two of the top three receivers in the conference with uh, Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman, very accurate Tanner Morgan delivering the ball to those guys. Um, you know, if the conditions are dicey, you know, how does that affect that passing game? Right. I think that could play a huge factor in this thing. Um, if it just happens to be snow, I think that's they're probably still fine. But if it's, you know, gusts of wind, you know, the 30, 35 miles an hour, if it's rainy, then it becomes yeah. a little dicey. The weather was like that for the Minnesota-Illinois game, and that was before Illinois was playing well, and Minnesota still blew them out. But I do remember – Johnson especially had a, a bunch of drops in that game. So it is interesting to think like about Like Minnesota that. ran for like 300 yards mm-hmm. that day. I highly doubt they could do that against Wisconsin. I feel like for Minnesota to win that game, they're going to have to do it through the air. And so if the weather is a problem, then that kind of shifts the balance a little bit to Wisconsin. Yep. Jonathan Taylor making history, uh, you know, putting up big numbers, historic numbers, past uh, Rondane, right? Recently, yeah. So he's passed a lot of people and a lot yeah. of things, <laughs> a lot yeah, of things I'm, over I'm these last track. two, three like, weeks. Uh, every day, every game is like a new graphic that comes up, and he's you know passing Barry Sanders or Ron Daner, and then there's the NFL rushing leaders that are also getting passed, and I'm I'm losing track. So yeah, there's there's been a whole lot that he's done in the last two, three weeks. Um, you know, we keep digging up different stuff every time, and so. Last week he passed Donnell Pumphrey for the most rushing yards in any three-season span by a college football player. He passed Marcus Allen for the most 200-yard games. He's now tied with Ricky Williams for second uh, with 12 in a career. Uh, Before that, he passed Archie Griffin for the second most rushing yards in Big Ten history. Uh, Probably won't get to that record unless he came back for a senior season. I mean, Ron Dane is... Know, probably another thousand or so right. yards ahead of him. So unless we see him in a Wisconsin jersey in 2020, Dane's probably safe there. But uh, he also passed Herschel Walker for the most rushing yards in a uh, before a senior season. That's the one I was thinking and of. So, I mean, he's. I mean, the fact that he's like 144 yards shy of 6,000 in a career in less than three seasons right now. I mean, it's pretty ridiculous what he's been doing. Yeah, with Wisconsin kind of being out of the college football playoff discussion, the the national conversation has shifted a little bit away from Jonathan Taylor more so than it was earlier in the season. But we definitely can't lose sight of his accomplishments and take for granted what he's doing because it's historic and he's an all-time great. Man, how about the fact that, you know, the week before against Nebraska – he goes off and he goes for 300. Mm-hmm. I mean, it goes for 200 for the third time against them. And then next week, he goes for over 200 again against Purdue. And it's the third time he's done it against Purdue. Yeah. So, like, no player this century had had three game, three straight games of over 200 yards against one opponent. And he did it twice in back-to-back weeks. Like, what he's doing is insane. Yeah, both of those fan bases, the Huskers and Boilermakers, will be glad to see yes. him go pro. <laughs> In all I'm sure they'll get some parting <laughs> gifts if they could. Yeah, exactly. In all likelihood, after this season. So, uh, Battle for the Axe is going to be a monstrous game. Definitely looking forward to that one. And get a little uh, appetizer before the main course on Friday. After you know, you, you've enjoyed your family time, your Thanksgiving festivities. We got Iowa Nebraska for the last Black Friday game for the near future. So, disappointing season for Nebraska, obviously. Iowa's in line of another very solid season, uh, potentially 10 wins, and they are going to Lincoln for a, another potentially poor weather game. So you probably think that favors 
I I don't know actually. Like, I mean, you think Iowa, but it's hard for me to to project because you know Martinez is probably a much better runner than Stanley, and Iowa's running game has not looked that great. So how do you how do you see this one playing out? Can Nebraska push what is a better Iowa team, maybe a top fifteen Iowa team, um, by the end of tonight? Uh, I definitely think that Nebraska has a shot in this game. I just worry about ball security with them, mm-hmm. and I think that becomes even more of an issue if the weather is bad. Um, even when it's nice out, you know, Martinez is fumbling the ball or he's throwing picks. You know, if you get a wet ball, sloppy conditions, you know, that ball might be popping out a little bit more. Um, I know Nate Stanley has been turnover prone, but it's mostly just been, uh, you know, interceptions when it happens. They don't really lose fumbles a lot. Um, you know, That's what I would do is take care of the ball and, and beat you. Take care of the ball, play really good defense. Uh, defense has traveled all year long. It's the best defense Iowa's had in probably over 50 years mm-hmm. if you're looking at uh, just points per game allowed. And so I would think Iowa should win this game. Um, they played Illinois the previous week, and Illinois is a team that you know turns everybody over, and they were actually plus two in turnover margin in that game. Uh, if they are plus again in the turnover margin, they should beat the Nebraska. What do you think about the rivalry being put on pause? Uh, so it's weird. I saw it was just like a, I think it was like a two-year hiatus. Oh, is that it? Okay. Uh, I think they're replacing it with Minnesota for a couple years, and then in 2022 it's supposed to restart uh, for Black Friday. Um, I don't like it personally. Like I like having Minnesota, Wisconsin at the right. end, and I like having Iowa, Nebraska at the end. I'm always a fan of the end of the year. I'm playing my rival. This is what it is, and um, I I didn't like that Michigan State, Penn State, which was the last game of the year for you know twenty some odd years, has been replaced, and now it seems like those two teams, along with Rutgers and Maryland, are just kind of rotating yeah. a final game right now. You know, rivalry week, rivalry week is supposed to be, you know, a game that you can lock in every single year. You know, the fact that, you know, Ohio State and Michigan do it every year. Illinois Northwestern do it every year. You know, I, I like those types of games. Indiana-Purdue, you know, I like looking forward to that every single year. And the fact that Nebraska-Minnesota doesn't really have the same kind of cachet. No, and, it doesn't. Uh, but luckily it's only a two-year thing and it'll be back. But I'm just glad Nebraska's still playing on, on Friday. I mean, it's been 30 years since you know, since they started playing on Friday, whether it was Colorado and Iowa. So I'm just glad that that's continuing. Yeah, BTN has that game. So Yeah, it's a huge win for us. Yeah, definitely, definitely tune in to BTN on Friday to check it out. I think it's at 1.30. And you know, I can't speak for individual fans. I'm not inside these fan bases. But just in general, with the amount of feedback I see on social media, these fans in general do not like each other, Iowa and Nebraska yeah, fans. Like yeah, they can, they can act, it's like the whole, like, you know, we don't care about them, kind of Michigan-Michigan State little brother thing where you try and play it off. But I think they really, in general, don't like each other. So I think it's a, you know, it's a fun one that, like it's you always said, it's going to be back sooner. Involved. Yeah. It's always fun with hate It's going to be back sooner and later. So speaking of a little hate, we'll close it out with – the other two rivalry matchups. Don't forget too deep into them because not a whole lot's at stake, but talked about Indiana-Purdue a little bit, and then you briefly mentioned Illinois-Northwestern. Do you see the underdogs in, in those games rising up and, and pulling off an upset? I would imagine that Northwestern's a bigger underdog at Illinois, um, and we've said all year that they're going to rise up and get somebody. I could see it this weekend, especially if Brandon Peters has to go through concussion protocol and does not play. Um, you know, Purdue, even though that they've gone through so many injuries and, and a lot of adversity, they have 
played better than a team that I would expect to play, knowing you know they're on their third or fourth string quarterback, a walk on, and not really knowing who David Bell was before the season. Like they've filled those holes and have not looked like a complete disaster. In fact, quite the opposite. So, um, what do you think about those two rivalry matchups? And do you think the underdogs can rise up and and going into the offseason feeling good? I think Purdue's got a legit shot of winning on Saturday. Uh, Northwestern, I'd be really surprised. But I wouldn't be shocked if that game uh, in West Life is a shootout. I think that could just be a ton of points scored with playmakers all over the field. You know, Indiana's defense has really struggled a Big Ten play. I know, you know, they shut out – or not shut out, but they held Northwestern to three. They shut Rutgers out. But, you know, they gave up, you know, 40 to Michigan State and – 34, uh, sorry, 31 in Maryland, like 28th in Nebraska. You know, Penn State got 34. We saw what Michigan did to them last week. That's a team that gives up a lot of points mm-hmm. to a lot of people, and we know Purdue likes to throw it around, but Purdue's defense, as we see, is, has issues as well. Yeah. And uh, the fact that they gave up 400 rushing yards and 600 yards and 45 points last week to Wisconsin, you know, I think that that could just be a really, really fun – you know, game in the 30s, maybe the 40s. And I wouldn't be shocked if that was one of those, whoever has the ball last wins. Uh, Northwestern, you're on your fourth quarterback. Now, Andrew Marty did play pretty well, I thought, in relief last mm-hmm. week against Minnesota. But, you know, I wonder with Illinois having a chance to look at him on tape, you know, do they shut a lot of that stuff off and feel like they should be able to win pretty comfortably. Yeah, I feel like I'm assuming way too much as an amateur meteorologist here. Like, I haven't looked too deep into the forecast and – it is only Tuesday, so everything can change. But we've seen Purdue look terrible in the rain. Indiana also did not look very good in the very rain true. last weekend. And I would imagine bad conditions favor Illinois against Northwestern with that running game and potential quarterback issues for both teams. So, uh, again, like we wake up on Saturday, and it's going to be clear and birds chirping and all that, and this will sound dumb, but it is kind of fun to speculate, and, and uh, you know, especially since we have evidence. With Big Ten football, I feel like every few weeks or so, We'll just get a hilarious visual of teams playing slot. I mean, the Purdue-Illinois game earlier this year, I mean, people thought Purdue was rolling. You know, they had just beat Maryland and put up 40 points. And, I mean, they couldn't get out of their own way at all mm-hmm. in that game. And the fact that Illinois was able to run the ball, that's what they wanted to do anyway. They didn't care about throwing it. Purdue can't run at all. And <laughs> once the monsoon happened, I mean, they were completely lost. Uh, I think Illinois had a couple defensive touchdowns in that game. So, uh, yeah, to your point, we've seen Purdue play really badly in the rain. Indiana did not, you know, play well in it last week. Uh, hopefully, Wap Fillier's back. You know, he'd be, it'd be fun to see him one more time in the regular season. You know, missed last week, you know, with the concussion that he suffered in a Penn State game. So, hopefully, he's back and then we can see, you know, Wap Fillier, David Bell both get, you know, double-digit catches and be targeted all over the place. That, that could be a lot of fun. All right, so – ton of stuff to look forward to hopefully we can balance some relaxation the next few days along with some feasting and feasting our eyes on these games coming up do we want to talk any basketball real quick any trends that have jumped out uh wisconsin losing was uh, a little troubling to richmond by 10 but i think ohio state's picked up the slack kind of in the not unexpected teams but teams that you expected to be pretty good that it looked to be even uh, stronger than we might have anticipated so Maryland, too, moved up to number five uh, in the AP poll. So they've also looked pretty strong. Any overarching thoughts before we close it out here? Um, I would say, 
you know, the fact that, you know, Michigan State lost Virginia Tech, like you said, the Wisconsin game, them losing to Richmond, you know, those are probably two of your top six, mm-hmm. you know, that have multiple losses already, and we're not into December yet. I do think that's a problem. Um, Ohio State right now looks like, I think they're the biggest challenger to Michigan State in the Big Ten. Um, I think that that gap is a lot smaller than we would have thought going into the season. Um, I, I do think Maryland's good. I think they're really talented. I just there's something about them that just doesn't sit well with me in terms of making a run, um, and I just think I trust Chris Holman a little bit better, a little bit more than Mark Turgeon. Um, DJ Carden's special. DJ Carden is special. That's a game breaker right there. Uh, and they got a guy in Dwayne Washington who just doesn't care. He's one of those guys that the opponents hate. The other student sections are going to hate. He's loud. He is brash, and he's fun to watch. I love him. I absolutely love it. Um, it, you know, it's a little hard because he's a Michigan guy and he got away. <laughs> you know, it'd be nice to have him. Uh, you know, in that Spartan green and white. Don't really know how serious the, that recruiting story was, but um, that's a guy I love watching play. You know, the fact that between him and Carton, the Wesson, the Wessons are both really good. I, you know, they could play any style. The fact that you know they were. They were locked in a tight one with Kent State, you know, for a while mm-hmm. yesterday, and then just completely put the clamps on and shut it down. And a couple of statistical anomalies also last week um, or this past week. Penn State down ten to Yale, and I thought it was curtains for them. Twelve zero run win the game, and then that, that evening, Illinois scored the most points by a Big Ten team in twelve years with one hundred twenty. Yep. Yeah. yeah so. so the fact that that was a big win for Penn State because that went over Georgetown looks a little better. They pushed Duke for a while. Georgetown beat Texas as well. So that, that could be a win that continues to gain momentum and strength as we go along through the season. Um, and, you know, Penn State, they're notorious for dropping a game that they shouldn't. And it always. I thought that was going to be the Lehigh, I think, from a couple of years ago. Yep, exactly. You know, they've lost a rider in the past. Maybe it was Ryder. Was it Ryder I'm thinking of? It was one of yeah, it, Ryder definitely. Was one of them, and you're right. They drop one every year. That's like, and, that. and every time you know we start getting into bubble talk because they beat some teams in the Big Ten they probably shouldn't. We go back in the non-conference and they have some curious losses, and they haven't had that yet. And it's very, very important for them to get through this non-conference slate by beating all of the teams they should beat, especially at home. So when you get into the Big Ten, if you just have a pretty good year, this could be the year that they get to the tournament. Yeah. The- Big Ten's uh, profile as a conference will be boosted quite a bit if teams like Indiana and Penn State can be fringe top 25 and tournament teams this year. So we'll have to see how it plays out. ACC Big Ten Challenge should tell us a lot. That'll be on the heels of the Thanksgiving tournaments wrapping up. So a lot to look forward to. H, we went a good almost 35 minutes today. Might be a record. Might be a record, and I'm not mad at it. No, not one bit. That's what this uh, time of year calls for. And uh, we delivered, so I will see you next week after the holiday. Sounds good, man. Michigan, Louisville, Carolina, Ohio State, Michigan State, Duke next week. Let's get get it. it. All right. All right. Thanks once again to H and Kenny for joining me. A couple of Spartans on the show. We always talk about how Harold went to Michigan State, his inside perspective there. And uh, obviously, Kenny Dupoin is a true Spartan to his core, working his way up from a walk on to a major contributor on a Final Four team. So very cool to get him on, talk to him, catch up with him. 
at his career and discuss some of the uh, more memorable times in Michigan State basketball history. So thanks again to both those guys. Thanks to everyone for listening and to my producer, Julie Bronder, for producing the show. Hope everyone has a happy Thanksgiving and hopefully uh, this podcast you're listening to you know, during some downtime, during some relaxation. And uh, just a quick reminder, if you have not already, if you're streaming this, go ahead and download and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play if you're an Android user like me, and Podbean as well. And uh, it can also be found on the BTN YouTube channel if that is more your speed. All right, we'll talk to you soon with the Big Ten Championship game looming. Definitely get into that game quite a bit next week. Until then, enjoy the holiday, everyone. And we'll check in with you very soon here on the Take 10 Podcast.